Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to the Gospel according to John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Last week, we began talking about these verses with Jesus Christ proclaiming that He is the true vine and that we are the branches. We're going through this sermon series on the church and looking at the various analogies and metaphors that are used for the church. So we've already seen how we are Christ's flock, and now we are looking at Christ's branches. I believe, Lord willing, next week looking at how we are Christ's body. But let's take some more time to meditate on these verses from John 15, 1 through 11. Because there, there are some amazing truths before us. So would you stand with me as I read these first 11 verses? We stand out of respect and reverence for God's Word. At the end of verse 11, I will say, this is the Word of the Lord, and together we will say, thanks be to God, because we're truly thankful. So if you are thankful for God's Word this morning, say with me, thanks be to God. Hear the Word of the Lord. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, 
what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We live in a world filled with people who are merely shells of themselves. The world has been hard at work, like miners excavating precious metals and stones from deep inside the earth's crust. So the world has been mining into the depths of the human heart, seeking to excavate and remove all that is precious, all that is valuable, all that is necessary and important, all that is priceless from within us. So what does the world want to excavate out of the human heart? Things like loyalty and devotion and faithfulness and peace and God-given desire and passion. They seek to excavate meaning and joy and above all, love out of our hearts. And what happens when the world seeks to excavate all of those precious things out of our hearts? It leaves people merely as shells. And there's something interesting that happens. As the world is excavating all of these things out of us, what is the world telling us? What does the world say to us? We are making you strong. We are giving you what you need. We are doing this for your good and for your benefit. You will thank us someday. All the while, they leave people completely weak, helpless, hopeless, and utterly, devastatingly lost, not knowing up from down, right from wrong, good from evil. People then are only shells of who they are supposed to be. Everything that God had purposefully put in man has been removed. Even in Ecclesiastes, God says, I've put eternity into the heart of man. Even the world would seek to remove eternity from the heart of man by saying, you are nothing more than the product of mere chance and random selection. You are only an animal driven only by physical condition of the synapses of your brain. You were born for a little while, you live and then you die. There is nothing more. And this is all done by deception. They're not hiding this work of excavation. They're doing it in plain sight. And people go along with it. And sometimes, sometimes we wonder, why are people so depressed? They have nothing. It's all been removed. Unless we think that man is merely the innocent victim in this scenario, man has unlocked and opened wide the door of their hearts to let the world in. They conform themselves to the world, believing they will get what they want, but in the end, they are left with nothing, bankrupt, zero, zilch. 
And some people might think that this is what Christianity is all about. That it's all about what is taken out of us. That Christianity is nothing more than a crutch that makes us weak and unfulfilled as people. And sometimes, and sometimes I'm afraid that the church does the same thing while trying to pretend that they are doing something different. They might give them other things that they think will make people strong when really it makes them weak. We will give them political activism. We will give them service projects. We will give them a whole host of other things out there in the hopes of making them strong. And they give them everything but Christ, and guess what? People are still left with nothing. What does Christ do? Christ comes to put into us what's needed so that we can live to the glory of God. For example, consider this. It might be there in, in your Bible that you have open, John 14, 27. You see that? Just back maybe a page or so. John 14, 27. It says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What is it? It's Jesus putting his peace in us. Not as the world gives do I give to you. What happens when the world tries to give peace? There's no assurance for that peace. There's no endurance in that peace. Will that peace last? We don't know. A peace that the world gives does not remove the trouble from our hearts does not remove the fear from our minds, but the peace that Jesus Christ gives enables us to not let our hearts be troubled and neither to let them be afraid. Notice it's what Jesus puts in us, his peace. And it's the same in John 15 with Jesus saying that he is the true vine. If we are the branches, we are connected to the vine, abiding in the vine. It is what the vine gives to the branches that makes the branches what they are. It is the vine that makes the branches fruitful. It's the vine that gives the branches their identity, their meaning, their purpose. And do we ever get it backwards? Thinking about all that we have to give to Christ. Thinking of how much Christ needs us. No, 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 no. We need Christ. The branches aren't giving life to the vine. The vine is giving life to the branches. We, first and foremost, are on the receiving end. 
And the vine is everything to the branches. Christ is everything to us because without the vine, without Christ, the branches, the church, are good for nothing. We're empty. We're hollowed out. We're barren. We're fruitless. And really, the results of being in the vine are seen in what the branches receive because they are in the vine. That's what we started with last week. What what do we receive in those first two points there? If you have an outline, your bulletin, you can follow along. It's on the back of your bulletin. But abide in Christ to be cared for by the Father. Notice the receiving. What are we receiving? Care from the Heavenly Father. Only those who are in Christ are cared for by the Father. You will not be cared for by the Father if you are disconnected from the vine and fruitless. And notice the tender mercy of the loving Father who takes the fruitful vine and prunes it so that it might bear more fruit. We said that it's only a lazy and careless vine dresser who does not prune the, vine, the, the branches. It's good for us. It's for our benefit that he brings that pruning to our lives. It might be difficult. It might hurt. It might not be what we want. But what's the end result? More fruit. What else does Christ give to us? Abide in Christ to bear much fruit. Here here we remember we are receiving fruitfulness from the vine. Fruitfulness is the result of living by faith in persevering dependency. So I'm living by faith, not by sight, in persevering dependency and trust in Christ. I'm going to have to persevere in my dependence upon Christ today and tomorrow and the next day. I'm going to have to persevere in my trust in Christ today and tomorrow and the next day, and this is going to embrace all of my life, and then there's going to be this product of faithful witness that comes out of my life as I depend and trust in Him. In fact, that must come out. If you are truly living your life by faith in this persevering dependency and trust. What happens? It transforms the way you think. It transforms the way you act. It transforms the words that come out of your mouth. And so you cannot help but declare the greatness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We continue this week to see what we first receive from Christ so we can live for Christ. Now, these are absolutely necessary if we're going to escape being a shell of a person rather than being a real person who is in the true vine and so glorifying God as we bear fruit and so prove to be his disciples. So number three this morning, abide in Christ's love through obedience. Abide in Christ's love through obedience. Jesus begins verse 9 with a comparison. We know it's a comparison because of the word as, as the Father has loved me. So 
where does Jesus begin the comparison? With the love God the Father has for him. Jesus knows love from his Father. There is love within the Godhead. Think of that. This triune God, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there is this love that is taking place within the Godhead, particularly here between the first and second persons of God the Father and God the Son. What kind of love is this? It is a divine love. It is a supernatural love. It is a steadfast love, a love that never fails a love that is enduring, a love that lasts, a love that never wanes or diminishes or ends, a love that is vast, unmeasured, boundless, and free. What kind of love is this that the Father has for the Son? It is the greatest and the best kind of love that we could ever imagine, a a love even unfathomable, where the Father would send His Son into the fallen and sinful world to die on the cross in order to redeem those who are His. That is love defined. You want to know what love looks like? Look at the cross of Jesus Christ. What do you see when you look at the death and resurrection of Jesus? One thing you should see is, look how the Father loves the Son. And with that as the standard, and that as the basis of the comparison, now we have the other side. So I have loved you. How great is the love of the Father towards the Son greater than we can grasp with our puny minds, yet it is this same love with which Jesus Christ loves us. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus spread His praise from shore to shore. The same divine love, the same supernatural love, the same faithful and enduring love that never diminishes or fades or ends. The certainty of the Father's love for the Son translates over to the certainty and the security of Christ's love for us. We receive love from Christ. How amazing to think we are able to experience through Christ the same kind of love experienced within the Godhead. Believers are included in the relationship of love enjoyed between the Father and the Son. And what is the result of this love that we receive from the Son? What is the command after such love has been given to us? So so Jesus Christ is saying, look at this love. Focus on this love. The love that the Father has for the Son, that's the same kind of love that I have for you. I have loved you in that way, in that regard. Now what? Abide in my love, says Jesus. That is, remain, stay, dwell 
in Christ's love. Do not go out of Christ's love. Do not look for love other places elsewhere. All the love you could ever want, all the love you could ever need, all the love required to make you who God has designed you to be is found in the love you receive from Christ. To abide in love means continuing in the love that you have already received. And what happens? Abiding in love then, abiding in Christ's love, becomes a reality in action. Bearing fruit that lasts through obedience to Christ. (laughs) Jesus does not say, continue to love me. Isn't that sometimes how we might put it? If if we were writing this, see how I've loved you? I, I want you to love me like that. In fact, what's amazing in these verses, there is no explicit mention of our love for Christ in these verses. But Christ's love, the Father's love, everywhere. God's love is primary. It is first and foremost. God's love is preeminent in our lives. And we get this backward. Even evangelical Protestants can fall into this trap of thinking what is most meaningful is how much we love Christ. And so we then sing songs about how much we love Jesus and it borders on treating Jesus more like a boyfriend or a girlfriend than as our Savior and Lord. I don't need a girlfriend, I need Jesus, my Savior and my Lord. And the focus here is abiding in Christ's love. Abide in the knowledge and acknowledgement of the joy which Jesus gives to us. Enjoy it. Glory in it. And how do we abide in Christ's love? We keep his commandments. We will abide in his love if we keep his commandments. Read carefully, dear brother and sister, these verses. Jesus does not say to keep his commandments to earn his love or to be deserving of his love. That is not divine love. But God shows his love for us in that what? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God does not show his love for us because of all the love that we showed to God or all the love that we showed to Christ or the fact that we've cleaned ourselves up, made ourselves worthy or deserving of his love, somehow wiggled our way to bind him so that he really has to give us love because we are so deserving of it while he was reluctant to give us his love. No, God lavishes his gracious love upon us while we were still sinners. If we think that our obedience is going to make us earn Christ's love or be deserving of Christ's love, then we've got it all wrong. In fact, it is the love we have received through Christ that is the motivation and the engine for our obedience. If I have been given this gracious, merciful, compassionate love, me, a sinner, 
and it has come to me at the cost of Christ dying on the cross in my place. If it has come to me through his resurrection from the dead, uh, from the dead, what love. I want more of it. I want to remain in it. I must obey my Savior. In this way, Jesus defined love as obedience. And such a radical love that has been given to us demands a radical obedience on our part. It's obedience without reservation. Whatever he says, I will do, just as Jesus kept his Father's commandments and so remained in his love. Jesus came as the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb, always obeying his Father in every way, in every regard. And Jesus comes and says, his conduct is the clue to paternity. That is, it's because Jesus obeyed the Father that it showed that he was the true son. He was the son, the firstborn son, that obeyed his father the way that the father was meant and should be obeyed. Unlike that other firstborn son, Israel, back in Exodus, Israel is called the firstborn son. Israel had failed. They had not kept the commandments. They had disobeyed. They had forsaken God. Jesus now says, I am the true Israel. I am the true son I obey the Father in every way. Jesus' righteous obedience testifies to the righteousness of his Father. Our obedience testifies that we are truly Christ's. So we abide in Christ's love through obedience. Number four, though, finally. Abide in Christ to know Christ's joy. Abide in Christ to know Christ's joy. What great gift of love we have received from Christ, but that is not all that Jesus imparts to us. It says there in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you. So let's just, for a moment, go back over the things that have just preceded this. He's just spoken the truth of how the Father will lovingly care for the fruitful vine and prune it to make it more fruitful. He has just spoken the truth of how those branches in the vine will bear much fruit and will ask for whatever they wish and it will be done for them. He's just spoken the truth that they have received the divine love and that such a love has affected obedience in the life of the believer. Why did Jesus say all of these things? in order to impart his joy to his people. What do you think of Jesus? When you think of Jesus Christ, who is he? If you were to spend time with Jesus while he was here in his earthly ministry, what would you expect him to be like? You think about his tenderness. You think about his compassion. You think about his love. You think about his ability to say what was needed at the right time. When was the last time, though, you thought of Jesus as full of joy? To be in Jesus' presence is to know 
joy. Jesus possesses joy, perfect joy, divine joy, complete joy. It's a joy, again, that can never be diminished. It's a joy that can never be extinguished. What is it that so many people in our world are looking for? They're looking for joy. Lasting, sustaining, enduring joy. We look to generate joy within ourselves. We look to generate joy in our circumstances. We look for other people to generate joy within us. How does that go for you? When you're supposed to generate joy in your own heart and soul? How does it go for you when it's about the circumstances that are supposed to generate joy in your life? How does it go when you're thinking other people have the responsibility to generate joy in your life? The joy of the world is light, it's shallow, and it's incomplete. It will never satisfy. But what does Jesus give to his disciples, to his followers? He gives us his joy. My joy shall be in you. Where else are you going to get joy from? Is Jesus the source of your joy? Have you received Jesus' joy? Or do you think that joy is dependent upon yourself? Or your joy is dependent upon if everything goes your way? Or is dependent upon how other people treat you? Or is it dependent upon Christ? Guess what? Jesus' joy never fails. Jesus' joy is bigger than you, bigger than your problems, bigger than your circumstances, bigger than whatever easily squashes the shallow joy of the world that you have settled for. If you have shaky joy, if you have fragile joy, this is not Jesus' perfect joy. But listen, believers' joy is not the result of an easy life. but the result of a life live wholly devoted to Christ. What is your joy dependent upon? Jesus has perfect joy, and you see this here. This is the joy that he shares with his disciples. Sharing in Jesus' joy is linked to our remaining in Him and in His love. He gives us His joy. Thank you, Jesus, that you have shared such joy with us. And I wonder if this is part of the nature of Jesus' joy. How do you know if you have Jesus' joy within you? Well, it seems from this verse that Jesus' joy is a spreading joy. Jesus doesn't say, this is my joy. Get your own joy. He says, this is my joy, and my joy is going to be in you. It's going to spread. It's going to be given to you. You're going to receive it. And so I wonder if it's not then the same in our own lives, if we have this Jesus joy, if it does not also spread and go out to others.
problem is there are other things that spread easier than the joy of Jesus. Do you notice this in life? There are things that spread easier than the joy of Jesus. Things like discontentment, despair, and discouragement. Spend some time with someone who is discontent, and it will not be long before you find discontentment in your own soul and mind. Spend some time with someone who is discouraging and you will also be discouraged. Entertain one's despair and you will wallow in despair with them. It's cliche, but misery does love company and it loves to make that company just as miserable as they are. Jesus puts his joy in us so that our joy may be full or complete. What does that tell us? Without Jesus' joy, our joy will always be lacking. It will never be what it should be. It will never be complete. Jesus gives his joy and notice the transformation. His joy becomes our joy. And our joy is full, complete. Joy characterizes the life of the disciples and their walk with Jesus. Would we ever think that the reason our joy might not be as full as it needs to be right now is because it's not Christ's joy? that we have settled for some temporary, unfulfilling, transient joy that leaves just as easily as it comes. And let's be clear. Christ's joy is not a Pollyanna, rose-colored glasses, pretend joy. It's a real deep-seated satisfaction, complete peace and contentment in Christ. What about people this morning who are experiencing pain? Maybe you're here this morning, you say, Tyler, that sounds really great about all this joy, but you don't know the pain that I'm in. It could be physical pain. It could be spiritual pain. Maybe it's constant. Maybe you don't know when it's going to go away. Maybe you don't know if it's ever going to be resolved. And you would say, yeah, I would love to have Christ's joy, but joy and pain are completely antithetical. They're completely contrary to each other. How can I have Christ's joy when I have so much pain in my life? Well, let's find out. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 12.
Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And then listen. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What do you have there at the end of verse 2? You have joy and pain. Think of the cross. Is there joy in the cross? Could, could Jesus go to the cross with his joy fully intact and undiminished in any way? Or would we think Jesus went to the cross with no joy whatsoever? That there's no way that he could have experienced what he experienced on the cross and still known this perfect, divine full joy. And I think here, the writer of Hebrews says, there was joy set before Jesus Christ. The joy set before him of people that he would redeem by his own blood, by his own sacrifice, people that he would atone for their sins. There was joy set before him of what the cross would accomplish, and so he endured the pain. He endured the agony. He endured the wrath and the judgment of God. He despised the shame. And it was for the joy of the cross that Jesus Christ went through all of that so that he might be exalted and then seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Dear brother and sister, if you are experiencing pain, consider Christ. Consider the joy that was set before him and what he was able to endure to save you. And know that this pain is not for no purpose. It's for Christ to draw you to himself. It's for Christ to make you cling to him. It's for Christ to help you lift up your eyes beyond the temporal pain to a glory that is beyond measure, to a, a joy that is perfect, to a world of love like we have never known before and to say there is joy in the gospel there is joy in my savior and there is joy in my eternal home if you do not know Jesus Christ this morning 
if you do not know the hope of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Today is the day to look to Christ as the one who went to the cross. Put your faith in Him. Repent of your sins. Confess that He is Lord. He will save you. He will give you the gift of eternal life. And hear this. It's not about it's not about what you give to Him, but it's about receiving what He would give to you. Because the church is Christ's branches. Let's pray. Father, what great truths we've heard today about your amazing love and your perfect joy. While the world would seek to excavate such precious commodities out of us, how grateful we are that it's our Savior, Jesus Christ, who puts these in us so that we can live for Him. Father, may we abide in the love of Christ and may we know the fullness of His joy and may we spread His praise then from shore to shore. Thank You that His love never diminishes, never fades away. Thank You that nothing can separate us from the love of God that we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. And thank you for the joy, the joy that we have knowing that even though we do not see our Savior, we love Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Lord, let this inexpressible joy flow out of us today and every day so that others might know the joy of Jesus. We pray this in His name. Amen.